Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Command Space. I'm Mike Hurley and I'm joined today by Mr. Dan Benjamin of 5x5. Hello, Dan. Hey, Mike. You know, you make it sound so official and formal. It's very official. I'm British. Okay. We, we don't do anything informal. I'm wearing a suit right now. Me too. Tuxedo. No, I just, I just got a just three-piece. Oh, nice. You really go in, really go in the whole hog. Well, I, you know, I, wanted, I, I want you to know I take your show seriously. I appreciate that. This is a new show, right? This is a new show. The new one. This is the new show. You're on episode 11, guest 11. Oh, wow. We turned oh. it up 11 for Dan Benjamin. Hey. <laughs> Spinal tap. So Dan Benjamin, British amps. You are the founder and uh, chief podcaster at 5x5. Correct. That, that is true. That would be right to say. So uh, we had you on before. We had you on the old show, the bro show, before uh, we became fancy. Mm-hmm. But today, see, I kind of have been, over the last week, I've had a couple of shows, actually. Um, we do another show on the network called um, Enough. And we spoke on that show a bit. I sort of spoke a bit about um, how I put together shows. Because my co-host, Patrick Roan of Minimal Mac, he uh, had been on a panel about um, podcasting. Right. So right. I was jealous that he got to speak on that panel. Considering our brains of the outfit, <laughs> really, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Exactly. So, well, it made sense because it was in Minnesota and I'm in London. Oh, so that didn't really it didn't work for me. So uh, I decided to replicate the panel right. <laughs> for our show. Why not? So, so today we're gonna get we're gonna get to hear some things, you know, like this from a real pro from you, Mister Dan. Oh, you mean you mean me? Okay, I'll yeah, do, do my like, best. Hi. I definitely got the right guy. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So some of the things I want to talk about today. So the first, the first part of the show, I kind of want to go through some equipment type stuff and, and some of the things that you would suggest for somebody maybe who wants to get into podcasting. Um, the setup that you use is, is extremely advanced and is probably not a good starting point. No, I, that, I would, I would totally not recommend anybody try to reproduce or even, even get close to the kind of stuff we have here, mainly because it's not necessary for most of what people, especially people just starting, would not only need, but it's just, it'd be way overkill for, mm-hmm. for most of it. And a lot of people will say, oh, what mic do you use, Dan? And they'll, you know, because they like the sound of the mic and they'll go get the mic and they'll be like, well, how come this doesn't sound like your mic? Well, we've got a preamplifier. Oh, well, what preamp do you have? Well, we got this one. It still doesn't sound right. Well, why not? Well, we've got this mixer and it just, it goes down. You don't need all of that. You don't need all of that. In fact, most of my co-hosts uh, use a one relatively simple setup that would be ideal for pretty much anybody that, that wants to do a, you know, a, a two man or two person, sorry, two person show. And what is that? Uh, what do you suggest? There is a, a mic. It's made by Rode uh, and it's, uh, and I can send, I can send you the link for all this. Uh, but it's called the Road Podcaster, and mm-hmm. any usually anything that has the name podcast in it and is a product is going to be awful. But the Road Podcaster is not awful; it's really great, and uh, it's the company is Road R O D E, and it's the same thing as what they call their Procaster, but instead of having an XLR output, which is the sort of three prong typical mic connector, it's uh, USB. So you just plug it into your Mac or your PC and and hit record and you're good to go. And it sounds great. And you don't really need a pop filter with it. It's very good at handling plosives and things like that. 
and uh, you don't need excellent mic technique to use it the way that you would with like the PR40 that we use here. Uh, so it's a, it's a great, great mic. Highly recommended. And you can get, you know, there, there's even a kit that they sell. I don't know if this is available over there in the, uh, in the UK, but they, mm-hmm. they have like a kit that you can get that includes like a nice boom and get, get yourself a nice mic stand or a boom or something like that. And even a pop filter anyway. Let's go, yeah. you know, but, but we're talking about something that's a couple hundred bucks, a few hundred bucks. They do sell that kit. I actually use the, the Rode Boom arm, mm-hmm. the, the swivel mount arm that they use. I use that uh, for my mic and it's uh, very nicely put together. Yeah, it's a great one. And it's, you know, it, it's not like the kind of thing that you would have. Like, again, the booms that we have here, these are nice OC white booms. These are the same things that you'd find in pretty much any radio station across the world. Uh, and they're meant to be used you know, 12 or more hours a day, every day for, you know, decades. Uh, whereas the one that comes to the road, it's, you know, it's a lightweight thing, but it's still really, really good. And it's so much better. Just invest, invest in a decent boom because you don't want to be hunching over a little thing. You're just, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to enjoy it. You have to enjoy it, Mike, to do it. You do. You have to enjoy the mic, Mike, <laughs> as they say. So, um, I guess the the road is a really good starting point, actually. I mean, it is a little bit pricey, um, especially if you're not 100% sure if you really want to get into it. Because I mean, was it like $200, something like that? I think the road... 229 bucks here is what I'm seeing currently. But I'll tell you what, let me, let me... Can I disagree with you? You can. I'll disagree with you. I'll tell you why. If if you're not sure if you're going to do it, you're destined to fail, number one. Very and, good point. And, and number two... If you're going to do it, you want to have the absolute best possible quality that you can have so that it's more listenable, so that you can have a better audience, so that you can hear yourself uh, reproduced correctly. So, yep. you know, it, if, if, if you think you're going to do it and you're experimental, yeah, do it. But the problem is you're going to come out with something that's going to sound like crap and yeah. nobody's going to listen. You're going to say, oh, well, it's a good thing I didn't buy the good mic because no one listened to it. But because- you got it backwards. Agreed. No, I agree. I mean, all you've got, I guess, is people, they, they press play, and if it sounds bad, they're going to turn off and they may never come back again before they even heard all of the great things you have to say on your podcast. If, if it's unlistenable, then you've got a real problem. That's right. So what about um, what about software? Now, I'm sure you use Logic, right? I, I, I would guess that you use Logic to do your editing. You're absolutely right. We use Logic, and the reason that we use Logic instead of the industry standard and superior tool of Pro Tools is for one reason alone, and that is something called offline bounce. And what basically the way that uh, Pro Tools works is you record something, and then you edit it, and then you bounce it. Bouncing just means essentially like mixing it down and exporting it to your desired format, which for us is MP3. Mm-hmm. And this process with Pro Tools, it actually goes through and will play back the entire duration of whatever it was that you recorded so if you you know mix down an awesome three minute song for radio well it's going to take it three minutes to bounce it but if you mix down a podcast that was 90 minutes long it's going to take 90 minutes to bounce it and that's a long time if you're doing shows all day long every day or even if you're just doing a few shows every day that doesn't really work with the workflow you want to get these shows out especially if you're doing a bunch of them so uh, logic does not have such a limitation uh this it's called has what's called offline bounce, which means it will bounce the file as fast as the CPU and and drive will allow. So even though Logic is not necessary, it's not a bad tool. It's just not quite as awesome as Pro Tools. But for us, 
that's the workflow, so we use Logic. Would you suggest Logic as a starting point for people? You know, this is going to sound totally wacko, but I would actually suggest GarageBand as a potential starting point. So many of the podcasts that you hear out there on iTunes and everywhere else are done in GarageBand, and it's perfectly fine to do it. It's not a professional tool at all, but it, it don't spend any money. If you've, I mean, you only have Mac. You don't have any PC listeners to this, do you? I'm using Windows. I highly doubt it. Yeah, so, you know, most likely GarageBand's already on their Mac. Use it. Sit down and record it. And you're not going to be able to do some of the fancy stuff that you can do with Logic. But for so many people, they're doing really, really great and very popular podcasts with GarageBand. And that's all they've got. It's fine. Use it. I'm using GarageBand right now. Done. Or GarageBand, as I would call it. Right. As I would say. Because it works. It works really well for me. I mean, I'm recording straight into it right now. And... I'm able. I've got very some basic editing tools and and got some presets and stuff, and it works. I mean, I own a I own a version. I own a, a version of Logic. I own a copy, but it's a uh, it's a mess. Yeah, it's, it, there's definitely a much lower learning curve with GarageBand, and the fact is, you want to. And this is the other thing. I hear this all the time from people. Oh, I, we recorded a great show last week, but I just haven't had time to edit it yet. And I'll tell you, you want to know the trick for that? Let's say what the trick is, Mike. <laughs> the trick is. If you can, pretend that the shows are live. Even if they're not live. This is yeah. live. We're streaming this. Mm-hmm. Pretend that they're live. I'll tell you why. One take. If you know that it's just you and uh, your, as you would say, bro, sitting there, you know, recording something at 2 a.m. and you screw something up, you can just, oh, well, we, we'll redo that. Or, oh, we'll take that out and post or whatever. That's going to lead you to do shows where you've got multiple takes, where you have to do a lot of editing, where you get to do a mess around with everything. If you think of it as live to tape, that's the old-fashioned term, tape. Back in the old days, we used to have a tape to record stuff. But if you think of it as live to tape, then you, this is it. You get one shot at it. Yeah, I mean, if somebody's connection drops or they have a coughing fit or whatever, then fine, you can go in and, and, and edit that out. But treat it as live. Treat it as a one-take kind of thing, and you'll get much better results. You'll be less inclined to goof off. That's my secret. I agree. I totally do that too. And that, and that's where the idea for um, not editing for content. I've heard you say that a few times in yeah. the show. It's because, and as well, I mean, I think that when you don't cut pieces of the show out in the middle, it, it doesn't disrupt the natural flow of conversation. And, and things flow a lot easier and, and the conversation can be followed a lot more simply by the listener. That's a great point. I think, I think it just makes for a better show. Totally agree, man. So what about hosting? Now, obviously you host all of your shows yourself. Do you suggest that as a as a starting point for people or would they want to maybe look at a hosted solution like Libsyn or something like that? What do you, what do you suggest? That's a tough one. I mean, I the, the whole concept of Libsyn never appealed to me. Um the idea of having you know, essentially my content living somewhere outside of my control. But see again, I was a pro I was approaching this from a completely different background than most folks. I mean, I've, I cut my teeth, you know, working in like, you know, network operations centers and data centers and, and dealing with servers and doing hosting. And so I had a lot of friends in the hosting business who could say, yeah, you know, we'll put your server here or, or whatever. And I knew what I was doing. So for the aspect of the hosting part, for me, that's just, that's, as you would say, that's old hat. That's something that I've been doing for a long time. So coming into it with that experience, knowing, you know, I've, I've been doing this kind of thing for so long and building content management systems and things like that. That was the only approach I really considered. But 
as a, an addendum to that, I would say that I, it's just not so appealing to me to think about having my content, something that is, for me, beyond just my livelihood, it's the livelihood of multiple people. Uh, having that content uh, living somewhere else that's outside of my control, that even if it's a great service, that I'm relying on an external service for something that is a core competency to my business. It just doesn't, to me, does not compute. Uh, but if you're like doing a show, you have like a podcast, use them, use it up, man. Don't spend your money on that. Let them do it. And if it ever doesn't work for you, then then take it in-house or figure out a different solution. Libsyn, I, I don't have any direct experience with it. It seems, you know, fine, I guess. I uh, I can recommend Libsyn highly. Um, I've used a few services and Libsyn are definitely the best that I've used for statistics. Mainly the statistics are really great. Statistics uh, are tough, man. Getting accurate numbers. You'll see people throw around, oh, we got 100,000 downloads. Well, okay, let's talk about range requests for a second. You know, what, <laughs> what, you know, because here's how this works. When, let's say, let's say somebody's using iTunes to download it. Let's say they're playing it in their browser in Safari. It doesn't matter. What's going to happen is the client, let's just say it's Safari. Let's just say they click, you know, they, they click play in, a, in something. Or let's say iTunes is grabbing a file. First thing iTunes is going to do is it's going to send an initial request that basically asks for information about the file, Right. Then it's going to say, oh, this is a 22 meg uh, file. You know what? I'd like for you to split that up into four chunks for me, please. And I'll download them simultaneously. This is the HTTP 1.1 spec. It's very basic stuff. And, uh, and so your web server or Libsyn or whoever, if it's your own, they're going to start sending that file down in four different chunks. Well, are those four downloads? No, that's one download. That's one person downloading one thing. So it's one file, one true file download. So you've got to, if, if you're going to try and roll your own thing, you've got to take this into consideration. You've got to know how to count those files correctly. And you can, you can do that the way that something like PodTrack does it, where it uses a redirect so that it sends a redirect. There's something in between the actual download server and where you are. Anyway, this gets very technical. But those numbers, when you hear people throw around numbers, you're going to make sure you're talking about unique downloads. It's important. Every time I, I talk to you, I always learn something valuable like that. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. It's a pleasure. No, that's that's a very, very good point. And I mean, um, I've used some services and I've used Libsyn and I've had other services vary quite significantly to Libsyn's numbers. Um, and I know they've been around for a while and um, I've seen some communication from them over the time that I've used them and they're always talking about how they're refining their service to get their numbers more accurate. Um, and about six months ago, they sent out an email and said, for some of you, your numbers are going to appear that they're going down. And I assume that's them tackling some of that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I would say if you're going to use a host, they're, they're not cheap. Well, they're, they're not as cheap as others. They're, you know, they're, they're cheap in the, in the um, grand scheme of things, really. It's, it's not extremely expensive, but they're a good one. But uh, you say about, we're talking about sort of relying on other services, right? And I guess FeedBurner is a massive uh, wake-up call for that. Oh, yeah. Awful. Because all of a sudden, we, we realized, hang on a minute, this might not be here forever. And I don't, I don't think that that had necessarily crossed our minds before because FeedBurner has been just part of the internet for such a long time. And then basically they removed the API and had a bug. Um, and it appeared that the bug stopped showing stats. And then it kind of just re- made us realize that, hang on a minute, this might not be around forever. So you're, yeah. current, you're working on something you said on, on Twitter, I believe, that for for the for what you're doing at five by five and you've transitioned away from feedburner haven't you yeah i mean i i had been thinking about this for a while anyway wanting to because again you know i see 
I used FeedBurner for something a little bit different, though, than what I think most people were using it for. And then it, it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like most people are using FeedBurner primarily for the stats part of it. And then it would say, oh, you have 1,252 subscribers to your podcast or, or whatever. I never looked at those because FeedBurner's numbers never made sense to me. Um, no. I've always looked at downloads and I've always tried to look at accurate, unique downloads. And that's the only thing that interests me. I don't care how many people are subscribed. That's kind of irrelevant. If it says I have 5,000 subscribers to a show and I get legitimately, I get 50,000 downloads. So who cares how many subscribers you have? There's, there's, that's meaningless. Exactly. Feedburner's numbers have never been right, Mike, never been right. So who cares about that nonsense? I don't care about that. It's, I want download numbers. So for me, the only reason that I had really ever used it was simply as a way to sort of independently cache the RSS feed. Why? Because I built uh, my own uh, content management system for 5x5 five five that handles uh, all, of the, all of the delivery. And of course, uh, you know, I have a separate media server. So after we upload a file, the CMS handles like all the ID3 meta tags and things like that into the MP3 file. It moves it into place. And then the media server, which is kind of connected in a way, has access to that file and serves it up. But it's done in such a way so that if there's ever a bug or a problem with the CMS or something happens there, which inevitably does happen, then uh, what I would have is I, w- I would essentially have an independent media server and everybody, iTunes and everybody else, is pulling from that RSS feed. Well, if that RSS feed is independently cached by FeedBurner and not on the primary server, right, and then, uh, and then people are going to pull from that, well, it's still going to serve the files. So if there's a bug in my crummy CMS that I wrote, well, it doesn't matter. People are still going to be able to get the files because that cache is existing elsewhere. But I came to find out that there isn't even really much value in that and then when FeedBurner started to have the problems, I said, forget it. And uh, I pulled it off. So I've got, for those technically inclined, I've got a uh, couple of Varnish servers that are caching uh, the RSS feeds, which I've always been serving up directly, but now there's Varnish in between instead of FeedBurner in between the clients and my server. So there you go. There you go. Don't, don't uh, breathe in that Varnish too much. You, you go to you. <laughs> That's right. You call it shellac over there, right? I have no idea. Okay. I've only ever heard the word varnish. Maybe varnish is a different thing in America. Who knows? I don't know. Could be. So I have one more important question before we move on to some other some other topics. Um, just how important is a soda stream? <laughs> Fairly important. I would say quite quite important. Um, do you guys these there these are big over there, right in the UK, right? They're like old. They're like old school things. Like you've had them for twenty years. They were huge in like the 80s, huge in the 80s. Um, and I've just started seeing them again in supermarkets. But like they went away for a long time. Like people just made their own cola at home. That was just, that was what they existed for. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now they've, uh, they're, they're starting to come back again. And it's probably because of you. Yeah, because of just because of the shows. Well, Merlin yeah. and Merlin Man introduced me to the Soda Stream. I didn't even know such a thing existed, and I like a like a schmuck. I'd been buying uh, you know soda water from the store. Like you go in and walk into the store and you pay you know two or three bucks for for you know bottle of seltzer water. It doesn't make sense. And Merlin says, "No, don't do that anymore." The Soda Stream thing, you pay less than a hundred bucks for this thing, and you can make you can make your own water, and you can control the carbonation. You make this thing like crazy carbonated. Oh, it's awesome. So, you know, I, I got one got one for the office. And you're happy with it? Fairly happy, yeah. And it helps you be the best man you can be? 
Does it? Yes, absolutely does. Good. I'm pleased. Maybe you I'm... know what they say: behind every man is a soda, st- a good soda stream. They do say that. That's what they say here. <laughs> At least soda stream will say that. Right. I wish it would sponsor. They don't sponsor anything. Sure. The free press. Yeah, I guess right. We're helping them out. So I'm, I think maybe I need to buy one. Maybe that will. Maybe that. Will make I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll have my people send you one. Thank you. Your You're your people with soda stream the mall. No, I mean you know one of my handlers. Okay, one of the one of the many. So um, before we continue, if it is okay with you, Mister Benjamin, I would like to take a break for our sponsor. Yeah, do it. And that is those fine people at Squarespace. These are people that you know well, as I, as do I. Squarespace, they give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. They, what Squarespace do is they give you a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating your home online. Whether that be a blog, a portfolio, which they have tools to create, very beautiful tools to create, or just any website. If you want to create a website for your business, you want to create a website for a wedding, uh, maybe you just there's been like a new arrival, a new baby in the family or something. You want to create a page to share photos. You can share posts about what's going on in the baby's life. Squarespace is so, so adaptable, you can use it to make anything. They have absolutely fantastic, beautiful templates with version 6. They really are very beautiful. They're very clean and responsive as well. People love responsive web design. This basically means that no matter what device people are viewing your Squarespace site on, they will be able to see it perfectly formatted to fit that screen size. Everything in the Squarespace platform is drag and drop, and this is using layout, the layout engine that Squarespace have built. And this is their page builder. It allows you to create custom layouts for each of your pages in seconds. You just add blocks of content like photos, videos, text, maybe even some social media content and many, many more. So you can have, for example, um, on a page, you could have a block of text saying, hello, this is my website. And then maybe a social block with your Twitter. So you can easily integrate your Twitter feed so it just shows up on your page. That's one of the things that I love about Squarespace. It's so easy to create these pages and uh, it's all done in a very, very beautiful environment. It doesn't even feel like you're using a web browser, um, which is, is very, very impressive. Squarespace delivers award-winning 24-7 customer support. They respond in minutes. They also have live online walk, uh, workshops sorry, that will walk you through step-by-step step for everything you need to know to make your amazing site. They have tutorials and they have a great knowledge base of articles as well. I want you to go and try Squarespace out because they are such a great supporter of 70 decibels network simply go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels and start your two-week free trial no credit card needed no obligation at all squarespace is then ten dollars a month for the standard plan and twenty dollars a month for the unlimited plan if you sign up for a year you automatically get 20 percent off and if you sign up for two years you'll get 25 percent off the monthly price what's more if at the pricing and checkout screen you click the little button, this is enter an offer code, and you use the code 70 decibels 10, that's 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S-10, you'll get another 10% off your first purchase at Squarespace. I'd like to thank them for being such a great supporter of our podcasts. And, and of ours, great guys. They are, there's, they're a supporter. I'm going to meet them pretty soon going up there. I need to, to New York City. New York, New York City. Yeah, we're going to go meet them. Oh, nice. See what's Tell- going on in there. Tell little Ryan I said hello. I will. Just tell him. I will. Say British accent for me and then I'll, he'll know exactly what you mean. I'll try. So I uh, sent out to our listeners if they had any questions for you. And we yes, some- I saw that on Twitter. There were a lot, a lot of weird questions coming in. You got a bunch of weird followers. I don't, I have not included the weird questions. But um, there was a lot, there was a lot of uh, Dan Benjamin catchphrases. Right. My way as well. Right. 
So um, at David Finch on Twitter says, do you have any tips for starting a network? Like, did you have any major challenges or have you learned any big lessons that if you were to go back and start again, would you do anything differently? Wow. What a, you know, this has been such a crazy time. It's been an amazing learning experience for me and there's no possible way I had any idea what to expect. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. And every single day, uh, has been kind of a combination of successes and failures and figuring things out. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really go into this with a plan, Mike. I went into this saying, this is what I really have always wanted to do. Uh, I was a, a radio TV major in college before I kind of switched it after being talked out. We talked about this before, after being talked out of it by people who were in the radio business telling me what it would really be like. It, it was horrifying. So I said, well, I'm good at this technology stuff. Said, well, if you're good at technology, if you can like make computers work, why would you do this job? I said, well, this is what I want to do. And they said, don't do this. So I believe, I believed them because I was told by so many people in the business to not do it that I, uh, I said, all right, well, I'll do this other thing, which I happen to be fairly good at. So I spent the first part of my career doing like IT stuff and software development and eventually worked my way up to CTO and I was miserable. And I said, I really want to do this thing I love, but I've been doing all this stuff for years. I know all these amazing people. Well, why don't I just talk about the stuff that I know and that I love, but you know, make it a business. So I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, fortunately for me, I'm lucky enough to, you know, that it worked out, but Really, it's not like I went into it with, I mean, some specific plan of like, well, we'll make these things happen. No, I just said, I'm just going to work as hard as I possibly can every single day, all day with no breaks for many years. And so that would be my advice to people. Work as hard as you possibly can. Make everything the best you can possibly make it. And be prepared to spend every waking hour for the next three to five years focused exclusively on one thing. And if you're willing to do that, you'll probably have all kinds of success. It's very good. You see, you didn't kind of go into, um, you know, when you started podcasting, it was never an idea to set up a network. Things kind of just snowboard for you. No, not at all. Um, I mean, I started my first podcast back in like maybe 2000, I forget the actual year, whether it was 06, maybe late 06, 07. The Hive Logic podcast where I interviewed like uber geeky people and uh, and several thousand people would even listen to the show for some reason. And I knew that it was, it was good, but it was such an early time. Uh, and it was like, you know, what is this going to become? And then, you know, famously iTunes added podcasts and now you could actually get your podcast out in front of a larger audience. And that made a huge difference. And then I said, well, I'm definitely going to do this. I didn't realize that I'd be able to make money doing it until a number of years later. And as soon as I said, wow, maybe I could pay bills doing this. That I said, no, I got I to do this. This is my dream. So what do I want to do? Saturday, the 6th of January, 2007. The Hive Logic podcast is here. January 2007? Episode 1, John Gruber and Macworld 2007. Yeah, sounds right. And right at the very top, Dan, I must read this to you because it's make me smile. Right. Um, date, I normalized the original track using the Levelator. Oh, don't say Levelator. <laughs> I remember those days. Don't say it. Don't talk about Levelator. It's, uh, listen, listen, let me tell you something about Levelator. All right, let me be straight with you. This is, Levelator does some good things, okay? Does some good things. I don't, I don't have anything against the lovely uh, folks behind Levelator. 
But this is not a professional editing tool. And we're, we're pros, Mike. We're pros. Now, I'm sorry. Listen, all the people are levelators, not good. Listen, it's fine. Use it if you want to use it. We do a lot of post-production on these shows. We'll spend quite a bit of time. And, and, and I've got guys now. I, it used to be just me. But the first person that I hired to, to help me out was I hired a professional audio editor. And, uh, and, and I said, listen, help me make these shows better. Help, help them sound better. And they said, you know, you're actually not doing a bad job, but yeah, there are better ways to do this. But the thing is, we, we, I have professional people doing post-production on these shows to help them sound really good because we'll get a guest who comes over some crappy Skype connection and they're shouting into their MacBook Pro or something. And, uh, um, you know, what are you going to do? You can't run Levelator and think it's going to fix everything. It's not going to. It does a decent job. Like it adds a layer of compression. It boosts the volume a little bit. It's like use it, but just beware that this is not a professional tool. This is the difference. Here's, I'll put it in terms uh, people will under, understand. This is the difference between like going to a gas station and you know what? I don't, uh, petrol, petrol. When you go over there, I don't know if you have this thing. When you when you're, you use your little credit card at the, at the pump. Mm-hmm. And it says, do you want a car wash with this? And if you hit yes, it gives you like a five buck car wash and you run it through this thing. All it basically does is a spray out water and a little bit of soap on your car and then blow it dry. It doesn't do anything. It's not cleaning your car. That's the difference in taking to like a pro place. It's going to detail it. They're going to get out a Q-tip. You have those? They're going to get out a Q-tip. They're going to find detail every single thing in this car. And your car is going to look like a million bucks at the end of it. Levelator. And no offense, I feel bad because the Levelator guys are doing their best. I don't, I don't want to say too much bad about them, but that's the It's not like don't don't just run your show through a Levelator and say, "All right, done." You need to do some more. You were using Audio Hijack Pro to record. Great, great application. No, no, no problem with that. Stand by that. And then at the end, you give uh, instructions on how to subscribe in iTunes because you're. It was uh, so new. <laughs> you you weren't yet um, agreed into the store. Right. Because even before there was a submission process to the App Store, there was submission <laughs> process for the podcast store. Right, that's, that's right. It's still there today, but they're very, very good about it today. I don't think they actually check anything. I think they kind of just let you in. I don't really know what the, the, the delay is, but um, there is one. And, it, you know, things happen. Well, they do. Yeah. People listen to stuff. Yeah. So... Um, and another another comment, and this is from actually one of the hosts on our network. It's from Mr. Michael Schechter. He asked, how did you approach some of the co-hosts on your network and convince them to take a shot with a show? And, you know, that's a great question. When I started 5x5, Five Five, I'm trying to remember which shows I was already doing. Um, the two shows that were sort of my main, uh, my main shows were... Uh, were the conversation, which was like a panel discussion show and an interview show called the pipeline. And those were the two sort of core shows that, that I, and of course I was hosting both of them. I also had uh, the big web show with Jeffrey Zeldman and there were a couple other shows. I think we were doing, doing the Ruby show maybe, or the dev show. Anyway, uh, there were a handful of little shows and you know, they, they, people, they resonated with people. Fortunately for me, people for some reason wanted to tune in. And I was able to get sponsorships on them and, and, you know, pay bills. So now that I had something going, I could, I could go to people. And essentially at first it was a big part of it was doing these pipeline interviews. So I'd go to somebody who was my hero, role model, somebody I admired, somebody who was amazing. And I'd say, listen, be on the show. 
And here's a secret to getting, you want to know the secret? I'm going to give it all up. You know the secret to getting people to interview with you on your show? Like if you want an interview and you think, oh, I can't ask them. You want to know the secret? Want to know? Tell uh, I'll tell you. You get you go and you get one person. You get one person. Then you say to the next person, "Oh, uh, you know, on this show, I've got I've got this person. They're going to be interviewed, and we've got a whole bunch of guests lined up." And you drop the name of the first person. If, for example, we're going to have this person on it. Then they'll see that and they'll be like, "Oh, okay. Well, if that person's doing it, I'll do it." Then, before you even record either of those two episodes, now you've got those people signed up. Then you go to the third person and say, "Well, I've also got that. I've got these two people. You should do it too." And then eventually, you've got a, a nice roster. You get the people you want. You get some big guests. Then you record the shows. Now you've got them, and now you can uh, reference them and, and keep adding to that list as you send out the invites. I can personally guarantee that that method works. It works. Because I do and have done the exact same thing. Simple. Exactly. Simple. It is actually. I mean, I think people are, uh, when, when they're trying to get guests on their shows, I think that they're just hesitant because they feel like they, they're going to be told no. But you won't know unless you try. And sometimes, you know, this is the other thing. If you're asking an interview, you know, like some big time people. You like know, you. you. Yeah, like me. Exactly what I was thinking. You get it. You got to be aware that like they are busy. And like if they say they can't do it or they're really busy, like they're not, they're not saying to you, Oh, you jerk. I don't want to be on your show. They're re- like legitimately really, really busy. So just, you know, and if, and sometimes it's, yes, I can do that in September of 2013. Uh, you know, they, they, they mean that that's like their next opening for it. So give them a, give them a break, Mike, give them a break. I will. I mean, I sent, I sent an invite to you by post about six years ago <laughs> and right. here we are today. Right. But it worked though. It did work. I mean, on the, this week's back to work, I believe episode 87, you and Merlin were talking about how long it took you to convince him to do a show. Yeah, he was he was on a he was a pipeline interview. Um, I forget which episode. I'll I'll look for it. Uh, and uh, and and I had said to him, I'd said, you know, listen, this is such a great. Okay, it was episode number seven of the pipeline. This was recorded March sixteenth, two thousand ten. And I had said, listen, you know. We had so much fun recording this, and I, I'm a you know well, I used to be anyway. I used to be a, a fan of his. And, uh, I, you know, I said, listen, we should do a show together. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and and then over to over time, I would say this to him all the time. And finally one day he said, you know, all right, all right, we'll do it. But it did. It took him a while. And you know what? I, I really, I respect that because he's very, he is very, very careful about, and, and this is something we could all learn from him is he's very careful about his time commitments. He's more so than most people that I know. He's very aware of the importance of saying yes to something. And that's a very, very valuable skill. Something that took me way too long to learn is, you know, being speculative and thinking something through before you just jump in and and say yes. And I'm glad, I'm very glad that of course that we have a show together, but um, you know, I I would much rather him have done it the way that he did thinking about it, taking his time saying, yeah, I think, think this is something I could do than uh, just jumping right in. So there you go. But yeah, that, the pipeline actually spawned most of the shows uh, that, that I wound up doing. I ran um, 5 by 5 for maybe six or seven months before some of what we now think of as the core shows for 5 by 5 were even there. So it was more, it was somewhere between like the seven, eight month time period and a year time period that sort of spawned what we think of today, four, three, four years later as being the uh, kind of the core, the core shows and the core format of the shows. 
Now, that, the link to that episode, uh, Pipeline number seven, will be in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at 70decibels.com forward slash command space, which is C-M-D-S-P-A-C-E. So you mentioned about like um, understanding your time and things like that. So that would uh, prompt me to ask you, how often uh, do you think of ideas for new shows and new projects? And how do you sort of, what is your filter for, for what you stick with and maybe what you cut? For, in regards to ideas as far as like what whether i think it'll work or not and yeah i mean because i mean if, if if you're anything like me dan and i'm sure you are um, i think of new shows like every week i have an idea for a new show yeah obviously i can't do them all so i mean is that one is that something that you think of quite a lot do you always have new ideas and what is the sort of what is the litmus test for you for whether it's something that needs to be developed and that's a really good question um it's it's kind of tough because there's so many ideas out there for a show. Uh, but because this is a business for me, this isn't, this isn't, I mean, it is very fun, but it's a business first. I have to make decisions based on what I think will be good for the business and good for profitability and good for, you know, because every single show that we do costs money. It costs money to, host it. It costs money to have people, you know, spending their time to, whether it's populate the CMS or whatever, it takes time, you know, and money for someone to edit the shows. Uh, and, and even if that money is measured simply in people's time, even if it's a volunteer thing, that's still money or opportunity lost. Right. So I just think that, uh, that you need to, you need to be cognizant of that. I need to be cognizant of that when I make a, a, you know, have an idea to start a show who's going to host it how are we going to promote it what topics will there be how are we going to make sure that we don't um you know that that show isn't too much of an overlap in a way that doesn't add value there's some buzzword terms for adding value to the network as a whole you know it's a funny thing people will say this dan you came out with another podcast how am i supposed to have time to listen well the that's real. I mean, people only have a certain amount of time to dedicate to listening to the things that they enjoy. Maybe they have a certain kind of a commute or a certain lunch break or whatever it is. You know, if you come out with a property, you know that this property is not only competing with the other shows that are out there in the world, but also with your own shows if you're running a network. So you have to you have to be mindful of that. And I think it's tough. It's it's tough to know. I've had shows that I thought, man, this show is going to be like incredibly popular. Everyone's going to love it. And it was like a ghost town, you know, and after a few months, you're like, wow, this isn't working. I'm going to get rid of this thing and dump it. And that, that sucks for everybody involved. And then I've had shows that I thought, oh, this one, this one people might listen to. And then great. Now it's doing hundreds of thousands of downloads. Like you just never know. Uh, you just never know. So it's, it's a risk every time. It's a gamble every time. But as a business person, business first, you've got to be able to make a decision to cut a show if it's not working out. So when you're, you know, when you're working with somebody who's going to be doing a show, you got to set those expectations. See, I think that's what it's all about, Mike. It's all about yeah. setting the right kind of expectation. You say, listen, let's try this. And, and here's what we're going to hope for. Here's what we're going to look for. And if we don't get it by a certain amount of time, and let's agree on what that is, then, you know, we may, we may cancel the show. And there's all kinds of other issues of like how, how you do that and who goes, owns what. And it's, it's complicated. So I'm, I'm always fairly speculative when I think about starting a new show for those reasons. 
as well because I mean when you're saying about you know the, the the owning and the stuff like that it's I know I'm sure it's the same with you but for me I start shows primarily people that who I consider to be friends and then you're entering into like a business relationship with friends and then you've got to draw those lines and it can become an uncomfortable situation I think initially to but it is important if you want to make it a business that you are comfortable to do that because otherwise you could end up in a sticky situation in 12 months time. Yeah. You've got it. You know what? I mean, this sounds, this sounds awful and it especially sounds awful between friends, but like put it in writing, like get a contract, pay someone who is an attorney. What do you call them over there? A wig? What do you call them over there? Uh, we call them masters of law. Okay. Get one of them and you have a contract drawn up that lays it all out. Who, who does what? Who earns what? What happens if you don't want to do it anymore? Draw that up, get people to agree to it. And it's, it's, you know, it's something that it's unlikely you'll ever get to the point where you have to worry about something like that, but it just sets people's, again, setting expectations. It's all about that. This is our buzzword for the day. Yeah. Expectations. Set them. Set them. Um, Shannon UPS. I don't know if they work for UPS. I'm sure. um, has asked that you've been saying you want to start a panel show. Uh, what does that look like for you? Uh, they're talking about big week. I think there may be. I didn't want to address it um, up front, but yes, okay. <laughs> they're talking about big week. And this is a show that I announced uh, a while back and realized that in order to make it work, I would need in, in the process. And this is, see, we talk about growing pains, Mike. We talk mm-hmm. about, we talk about trying, trying new things and, having successes and failures. And what I realized is that to do this show the way I want to do it, uh, I, I needed more resources in place to make that possible. I needed the right kind of studio setup. I needed a whole bunch of things. And that, yes, I could have done it right then. That, that week is I had, to, I had planned to do it in a, a few weeks from when I announced it. Uh, but to do it right, to really do it the way that I wanted, I needed to have some other things in place and that uh, un- the unfortunate reality that can take longer to, to do than I thought. You know, it's, it's easy to start a two-person show. You just yes. get two, two, two folks to agree on a time to record. You sit down, you record, you edit, you release. Done. Well, for a show like this, which isn't, isn't just a panel type show, it is, but there's more to it. Uh, there's a lot more logistics and uh, it, it, it involves a lot of organization, coordination, uh, special sponsorships, other things that take time. So I, I made the mistake of announcing it before I, I fully realized that to do it the way I wanted to do it, what I was, what it was really going to take time-wise, not effort-wise, but time-wise to put all those pieces into place. So that, yes, still doing the show. Uh, yes, it, I, I, I think it will be very much like what I described it as, still going to happen. Uh, taking a little bit longer, Mike. I think you've made the right decision then listening to what you said. You, you've you decided that you want, you have a, a, a level of quality that you want to, to achieve with this show. Um, so to achieve that level of quality, which you know will be a good show, you you have to give it a little bit more time in the incubator. I think that that's the right of it. Yeah, but see, once it's out, once it's out, people know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. They'll say, oh, that's why. Oh, oh. But until there, that happens, I can't do it. Is there going to be background music throughout the whole show? Background music, everything. Sing. Get it's it all. all. 
So the last time that we spoke um, on the previous show, which was called The Row Show, and there'll be a link in the show notes mm-hmm. to that episode mm-hmm. if you want to hear it, we spoke a little bit about competition um, in, in podcasting. Competitiveness. Competitive spirit. The spirit to win. Yeah. I the tiger, as we say here. There's no I in team. Um, I spoke to Tom Merritt on, of Twit last week, and yeah. we spoke about this too. Um, and I wondered if you'd put any more thought into that. I mean, the, the kind of the discussions that we've had and I had with Tom is that we kind of, um, in podcasting, we kind of work together in a way to, to boost the medium. And there isn't really a lot of bad blood between networks. Like, you are here on my network. We are currently broadcasting this live on your network. I think that that's a healthy relationship. Um, is it, you know, do you feel it's maybe not like traditional media in that aspect that we're, we're, we're not all competing for, for the listeners? Well, here's what we're competing for. And at this, you know what, at the end of the day, I think it really is the same thing that, uh, that, that the folks in broadcast, uh, radio and broadcast t- TV are competing for. We're competing for the listener's time. We're competing for the time. If you, if you imagine a typical listener, you know, this is probably, let's be honest, it's a guy somewhere in 25, 35, maybe 45 years old, in that range, big range, probably a geek. They're only going to have a certain amount of time to listen to these shows in general. They're probably going to listen on their commuter while they're at the gym, while they're walking some dog. And they only have a certain amount of time. So we're competing with who, how, who's going to get that person's time. So if they have an hour-long commute round trip every day, that's 60 minutes Who's going to get that? Is it going to be one of your shows? Is it going to be one of mine? Is it going to be one of Twitch shows? They're going to run out eventually of time. So, of course, there's competition. But at the same time, I think that there are enough people out there who are themselves interested in so many different topics that the chance that they'll be able to make that time, whether it's an hour or so, a week, to listen to one of your shows... The right people will find it. And they'll hopefully, if you keep making great content, they'll come back. But I think that, you know, that said that you are competing for that time. I think at the same time, you've got to consider that there is a different kind of an audience for the different shows. Certain people want to tune in to find out, you know, they're, they're tuning in to hear the latest, greatest news uh, that happened that day. Well, that's, that's one kind of show. There's another kind of show that people want to hear, you know, insight, personality, discussion. It, it's, there's something different. There's other people who love the panel shows. It's, there's so many different people. And I think that in so many ways, the different networks, the different shows are, are complementary. I just love the idea that this is a real industry that folks are interested in and, and that we can make a living doing it. I think it's great. It is. It's fun. So I have one last thing for you before we wrap up today. So uh, Mike Pond on Twitter, he has said that he's currently developing a podcast application. Um, with looking at what's currently out there, is there anything that you would like to see as part of an app that would maybe enhance the experience of, of what you do for people? Do you have anything that you can think of like that? Did you have maybe any features that you cu- don't currently see implemented very well in the current crop of podcasting applications that you think could maybe make it better overall? Yeah, I don't know if there are any uh, any good po- podcast. Give me an example of a podcast application first before I start criticizing them. Instacast. Yeah, I mean, I think in a way, 
there's been so many attempts at making these apps work the way people want them to work. And I think that's the reason why we have so many different versions of these. I mean, there's Instacast, there's what's that other one? Downcast, there's Apple's own podcasts app. I mean, there's so many of these. And that's because there's so many different ways that people like to listen to these things. People have, you know, we have a, we have a, an app out called five by five radio, which the primary purpose of this thing, Mike, primary reason we made this thing is so that people could get a push notification to tell them when the show they wanted to listen to is recording live. And so that they could stream the show live. That's why we made the app. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the app was not to give everyone access to the whole back catalog. Why? Because there's like 5 billion other podcatcher apps out there like Instacast and Downcast and whatever the other ones are. They're all out there already. So I didn't really want to get into the business of competing with one of them. Why? Because the reason I just said, there's so many different versions. There's so many different ways that people want to work. You're walking into a minefield, minefield, to try and get people to uh, make everybody happy. It's never going to work. Plus a back catalog, it's there. You get it in iTunes, you get it everywhere. That doesn't mean we won't add something like that to the app down the road. And we came out with a free version of the app. Because I finally, you know, I think people think, Mike, I think between you and me, I think people think that like you make money making iOS apps. You actually really don't. Uh, you don't. There's, you know, if you're Angry Birds, yeah, you're going to. But if you're like, it took us a while just to recover the cost of making the app itself. And uh, thanks very much to all the, the listeners who've downloaded it, who, who did that. And after we got to that point, you know, there's still bandwidth costs. Now you've got more people streaming. So you got to beef up the servers so that you can handle more and all of that stuff. Costs, everything costs something. So we paid for the cost. And uh, shortly after I came out with the, uh, with the free app, it doesn't have push notifications, but it still lets people listen live. Why? Because I really think of five by five is a radio station. We're not broadcasting 24 hours a day, live stuff. But we, we have a number of shows every day that it, wouldn't it be cool if people could tune in live, whether they're at their office or you know, driving home from work or on a walk, and it's, oh, this show is starting live. Great. Well, the push notifications cost money and have an infrastructure behind them. So the free app doesn't have push notifications. You can still listen live if you don't want to tune in. It's free. So that's what we did. Back to your real question, these apps that are out there, I don't know. Like, I'm not happy with any of them. I'm not going to say they're, they're crap. They're good apps. But none of them always work exactly the way that I want them to work. So you know what I do? I, I control it manually with iTunes. And that's how I update stuff. And then when I sync, it goes on my phone. It's awful and it's old-fashioned, but that's that's the way I feel like I can control it. Wow, that is old-fashioned. I know. Instacast is, is uh, you know, the app that of all of them that I personally have the most experience and familiarity using. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a wonderful application, but so are a lot of the other ones. And, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's just, it's just the way that, uh, that, that these things play back and where the controls are and how intuitive it is. I don't know. I, 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 it's tough because podcasting is so weird. I don't think of 5x5 five five as a podcast network as much as a, a broadcast network. And th- to me, that's a, a minor distinction and maybe it's nitpicky, but for me, the difference there and the important difference is I think the live experience of what we do, which we're doing right now, and tuning in live and being able to go into the chat room, which I'm not in right now, sorry, uh, but being able to tune in and interact with the hosts and, uh, and, and, and talk to folks about what's going on, suggest titles, things like that, 
you know, that's something we would just want to keep encouraging. We want people to do more. I would, I would love it if at some point, you know, people could tune in and, and get a, a, a long block of content every day from five by five that they can listen to live. And if they don't get to hear the show that they want, they can download it later. And, and to me, that's that combination of being able to listen on demand whenever they want to something or to be able to tune in live and enjoy it that way. That's, that's the difference between podcasting and, and broadcasting to me. Uh, so an app that, that could handle all of that seems pretty cool, but I don't think it exists yet. You see, you say about broadcast network and, and podcast network is interesting because I would consider 70 decibels to be a podcast network because we do not stream live. Um, right, and I right. guess that, that is a, an interesting distinction, right? Because you have that live component and admit, admittedly you have quite a lot of... Um, quite a lot of your content is built around the live. I mean, you talk about live a lot. You have the chat room, which, as you say, brings a lot um, extra to to the shows and to that experience that it kind of makes you like a broadcasting network. You're closer to, to radio that offers shows to download than podcasts, I think. No, I mean, that's the goal, man. I love radio. I love talk radio. It's what I've always wanted to do. So there you go. That's, it's 5 by 5 radio. Yeah, there you go. I have FM. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm scared of live, Dan. Well, you're doing it now. Yeah, no, but I can ignore it, pretending that it's not there. You don't like it. It makes it more of like a public speaking, like a performance when I know that there's people there. I'd say you're in your, your top form today. Thank you. I have to be talking to you. Oh, you're so nice. So, Dan, where can people find you? Where, where's a good place to, to find Dan Benjamin? Uh, well, you know, I do a bunch of shows on 5by5.tv, obviously. Uh, Twitter, I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And uh, I update this this site, bigweek.co, but that's more for like news and snarky comments. So I don't, I don't know if anyone should go there. I'm going to put it in the show notes anyway. And then you, you, can go to, you can go to baconmethod.com oh, yeah, for I've my bacon this. recipe. I've yet to try it out, but I think I need to. Try it out, dude. People seem to love it. It's good stuff. It's my the best site I've ever made, I think. Yeah? Very popular. It's perfect. Just the way it is. Do you think it one day will be more popular than 5x5? Five five? I think it already is. And you're going to become a a bacon network? Yeah. Just different types of bacon recipes? Exactly. Or is there only one? Well, it's not, it's not like... it's not. I, sh- I guess I should clarify this. It's not making bacon. It's preparing. <laughs> you, know, you already you know, have to have the bacon in the pack in your fridge yeah. or in your uh, loo as you say over there but mm-hmm. uh you need to have that already and then you uh you take it out of the package and from there that's where the instructions are useful it's not like you you don't start with the pig you're starting with already bacon and, and ready to go so you're helping people telling them how to rear pigs and what to feed them no yeah we don't cover that not yet anyway <laughs> no that's next is that paleo bacon is very paleo absolutely the most paleo of all the paleos. That's right. I thought so. So, uh, big week. I guess is that where you uh, do you with big week? Is that where you kind of like you, you put your links in to talk on the shows? Is that where you you kind of send it all there? And then when you're doing the shows, do you refer to big week? Yes, I'm curating content over on bigweek.co where I place important articles that are relevant to our time. Uh, no, it's like a, it's a link list, basically. It's a blog that uh, I find a link. It's interesting. I put in a, a pull quote and I make a funny comment or not. And I use that. It's almost like my bookmarks, exactly as you say. 
bookmarks for the shows. And I don't usually send people to Big Week. It's more like a tool for people who want to know maybe what we might be talking about on some of the shows that are upcoming or the kind of things. And it's like what I'm reading, what I'm thinking about. It's a good, uh, I find it a good Twitter account to follow as a, as a, like a little news ticker. Yeah, news ticker, sure. Is it Big Week or Big Week? Is it just Big Week? Bigweek.co. On, on Twitter, what is it on Twitter? Twitter.com forward slash. Oh, uh, really Big Week, I think. I'm checking right now. I'm I don't checking. know. I don't follow this stuff. Um, yep, really Big Week. Yeah. It's even bigger on Twitter. So Dan, thank you so much um, for for being a part of this show. It's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. No, oh, thanks for having me. I mean, any listen, I mean it. Anytime, I'll be on. I'll do the show with you every day if you want. Okay, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll journal that. All right. So I am uh, I Mike on Twitter. I M Y K E the same on app.net. I believe Dan, you're Dan on app.net, right? Uh, yes, I sc- score. I had that on Twitter too, but I got rid of it. Too many bad, mistakes. Yeah, bad, bad idea to keep. I think. Yeah. Every, famous Dan in the world. Um, next week, we have another new guest. We're going to be joined by M.G. Siegler um, for... Oh, nice get. Yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a pro now. Yeah. Why? So I sent him an email and said, I'm speaking to Dan today. And he was like, sign me up. Nice. That's all it took, man. Oh, he's yeah, he's a pro. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to talking to M.G. I think it'll be a fun show. I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk to him about yet. I'm uh, thinking about fanboyism. But oh, neat idea. We will see. Um, Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. Um, I'm Mike Hurley and he was Dan Benjamin. And uh, until next time, bye-bye.